are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey everybody, this is Mark Ballow from the Jersey Guys Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Tom Coyne, and today we've got a brand new episode for you. This time around, we thought we would do something which we haven't done so far. Uh, If you listen to any of the first uh, 12, 13 episodes that we've done, it's primarily focused on everything from 70s hard rock bands up through 80s metal bands and um you know even some late 80s bands uh in the melodic rock sense but we thought we would do something because if you do look at our tagline uh if you're watching us on youtube uh you'll see that we uh that we cover everything from hard rock and heavy metal to aor and west coast so we decided we were going to do something in a little bit uh lighter version today and go with some aor and west coast music uh today tom and i are going to talk about the band player and everybody knows them from, of course, their number one single, uh, Baby Come Back. But the band has uh, a history of six albums. And uh, singer Peter Beckett uh, also has some solo material and other projects that he's sang on over the years. So we're going to talk about those albums. And uh, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I'm glad we finally got around to doing this. We've had so many things backed up in the way of interviews and discographies and bands that I wanted to cover and things that me and Mark wanted to do together that we kind of put the uh, the West Coast end of this on the back burner. And believe me, neither one of us really want to do that because I think we, we equally like West Coast and AOR as much as we do hard rock. Yeah. So uh, it, it's uh, we, we kind of arrived on this band because in the underground sense of AOR and West Coast, it's it probably the, the most uh, premier band, in my opinion. You know, not counting, you know, Doobie Brothers and Steely Dan and assorted maybe a few other real big name acts that, that did AOR West Coast. So uh, we figured we'd come on, uh, come on strong with the first episode and uh, maybe d- dig a little deeper and uh, more obscure artist uh, down the road right well i wanted to ask you before we get started um i've always said myself that i've you know because of my age i'm 51 years old and i've always said that i kind of grew up and my teenage years were in the in the 80s you know the mid 80s to the late 80s so i think my my favorite type of music is kind of that you know the arena rock the uh you know some people want to call it the hair hair band music of that day uh from the late 80s into the early 90s um, I know you are a little bit older than me. We've talked about this. Uh, you are 11 years older than me and you grew up in the, in the 70s, you know, your impressionable years. And I know your favorite bands were Black Sabbath, uh, the Almond Brothers band. How did you actually get into, uh, listening and liking the West Coast music? I always liked it. But didn't pay attention to it, I guess because of my age and, and, and it wasn't macho enough. I, it's kind of hard to, you know, be a, a Black Sabbath long hair in, in high school and, uh, you know, admit to having player albums. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I honestly though, I, I don't, well, that, that is the truth, but 
I don't think I really started to pay close attention to it until the early to more uh, mid-80s. I hung out in a record store called Zigzag Records, and there was a uh, gentleman there that worked uh, by the name of uh, Vincent Lubrano. And he also was uh, somebody that was very into AOR and West Coast type of music. And we both kind of started discovering and digging deeper uh, into Toto and um, all the bands that were were kind of like that, like a player. I always maintained something through my whole life in music because I started off with the, the Beatles, Dave Clark Five and the Stones and... Uh, the three things that I like in music are good songs, good singing, and good musicianship. And West Coast music, uh, AOR music, yacht rock, as some people like to call it today, definitely clicks off all the all three boxes on that. So I, I can comfortably say over the last 30, 35 years, I'm very comfortable listening to Iron Maiden and also listening to Playa. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I know for me personally, when I was a little bit younger before I started getting into some of the, the hair bands of that era from the late 80s, I my original sort of introduction to music was kind of the 80s rock. You know, I listened to stuff like Brian Adams, Huey uh, Lewis and the News, things like that. Uh, even the police, you know, I, I love that stuff. So I think for me, it was almost a natural progression. And if you take sort of the the, the 80s rock stuff, and then you kind of marry it with a little more sort of edgier type of sound of some of the arena rock bands of the era, you almost kind of get AOR, right? So that that would make sense at why I became a, a fan of this music. And then, you know, going back, even getting a little bit lighter, you know, going into the West Coast style of music. I had some some people, I actually had a friend when we first started doing this uh, podcast and you saw our tagline, you know, saying that we cover West Coast music or talk about West Coast music. And one of my friends asked me, he's like, well, what is West Coast music? You know, so I think a lot of people maybe aren't, you know, they know AOR, you know, the bands that are the foreigners and the journeys, but, you know, West Coast music, people maybe aren't super familiar with that. And I guess, yeah, like you mentioned a minute ago, probably the best thing to kind of equate like, what is West Coast music? You could just say Yacht Rock now, right? And everybody knows that. Yeah, and, and there were certain bands that I, I really think the Michael McDonald period of uh, the Doobie Brothers uh, accentuated that sound a lot. I think some of the uh, Little River Band material mm-hmm. definitely did. There's, there's a lot of influence. Some of the Steely Dan songs were very much of that. Not all of the Steely Dan uh, back catalog yeah ambrosia ambrosia it's another that's another band that I, I think down the road maybe in the not too distant future we'll we'll do a um do a discography and maybe hopefully uh be able to get david pack or one of the band members on we're right now currently working on some different west coast premium names uh for the program so i this is uh this is a a, a whole page that we haven't turned in the book yet for this uh, podcast and I hope there's enough people out there listening to it that enjoy this music because we certainly do. And uh, we plan on giving it as much exposure going forward as we have uh, a lot of the, you know, I, I've I've gone out of my way to bring on some of the band, the metal bands that I grew up that with that I, I liked a lot. But I, I think we really do want to spend more time with a lot of the AOR stuff going forward. Yeah, definitely. So, um, having said that, let's uh, let's get into our discussion about the band Player, and uh, we're gonna go through the band had six uh, studio albums, uh, and then 
Peter Beckett, who is uh, the singer, guitar player in the band, um, he had some solo uh, or had a solo album and it's a couple other uh, projects that he worked in over the years. So we're going to add those into the mix today. And I guess we'll start with uh, doing the player um, discography discussion, such as we've done in the past. And player started their first album came out in 1977. Um, it was a self-titled album. And right off the bat, I mean, the band scores a number one hit. Everybody knows the song, Baby Come Back. Baby Come Back. Any kind of folk could see. There was something in everything about you. Baby Come Back. You can blame it all on me. I was wrong and I just can't live without you. You know, number one hit in the U.S., um, basically just made a career for the band, more or less, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a song even back in the day I, I guess, secretly liked. It was uh, a terrific song. Uh, the album itself, when compared to some of the albums going, uh, you know, more forward into their discography and deeper into Beckett's career, it's, it's a little, maybe a little dated, I would say, inspired. I don't think... I don't think this music really hit its stride production-wise, and I don't think it really had an, a, a true identity until around 79. Yeah. That's when I kind of, I was, 79 is like the, you know, and when people talk about the new wave of British heavy metal, you know, it's changing rock in, in 80. I, I kind of found like this music, uh, 79 was the year that, that kind of broke uh, this sound, which has become like that identifiable yacht rock sounds, yeah. per se. Yeah, well, I mentioned that, you know, Peter Beckett was uh, a singer and guitar player in the band. Um, he wasn't the only singer, though, right? I mean, the band actually, when they started, uh, the keyboard player, uh, J.C. Crowley, uh, also did handle some vocals. He and did. And Ron Moss was the bass player and vocalist, too. And uh, John Friesen was the drummer at the time. And that was the original lineup of the band. Uh, what were some of the... Do you have songs that, you know, beyond Baby Come Back, because that's obviously such an iconic song in, in this genre, but is there other things on that album? Uh, there was really nothing on that record that I thought was standout. Um, what was to come was the next record for me that I really would say there were, there were songs that I felt now that this was like a... More of like a like a a band as opposed to a project that had a, a huge song on the radio. Yeah, I mean, I, I for me, you know, in listening to the album again, uh, you know, "Baby Come Back" obviously is that signature song, of course. But I thought a, an al- or a song like uh, "Melanie" I thought was a really cool song because it was very a little bit jazzy, but like had that West Coast sound. Even the song like uh, "This Time I'm in It for Love," which I think was another single. Off of that, that, that was yeah. You know, that's th- funny you said that about jazz because again, pre seventy nine, this music really hadn't developed an identifiable sound. Which again goes back to the I think the Doobie Brothers when McDonald joined the band kind of put that sound on the map. And and a lot of this type of quote unquote, unquote AOR had jazzy elements to it because. I think a lot of the, the the musicians were ex-jazz players or had jazz backgrounds. Right. And it kind of would muddy the sound for me because I've never been overly uh, enthused with that, mixing those jazzy elements and, into a more traditional rock sound. So I, I that, this album definitely did have that at places, but by the next album, it was totally 
washed out. Right, yeah. Well, um, I also just wanted to make a quick mention about the the last song on the album um, was a song titled uh, Trying to Write a Hit Song. And to me, that that one actually was sung by Ron Moss, uh, the bass player in the band. And to me, that you could almost see where Ron Moss was going to be going. And we'll we'll talk about this in a little bit as we go on with the show. But um, that song was almost had a very country feel to it. Um, kind of, you know, something along the lines of, say, the Eagles at the time. But yeah, that that's kind of where that was going. But overall, I thought it was a it was a solid album. Uh, like you said, it, it definitely had that a little bit of a dated feel. Um, you know, that that latter seventies feel, not quite in the the whole vintage West Coast sound yet. But um, yeah, I thought it was a decent album for what it was at the time. So then, now nineteen seventy eight next year comes along, and I know you're going to talk about this one. But the album is Danger Zone. The band basically now goes away from that sort of harmony-laden West Coast sound with the jazzy influences, and they kind of go full, almost like AOR West Coast, right? Yeah, this is a hell of an album. This, in my opinion, is one of the greatest AOR albums of all time. They they really uh, went about face quick in, in, in the course of a year or so. This had a real vintage sound of that period. If you listen to all the keyboard sounds on it, uh, the bass, the bass licks, and if you listen to Beckett's vocals on the song "I Just Want to Be with You," he has that Michael McDonald falsetto type of singing down to uh, to a T. And, yeah. and, and again, the Doobie Brothers influence you you could see on this album. The songwriting is just so incredibly strong. Um, the song "Join the Dance" is probably my favorite player song. It's just a, a killer song. I know um, you mentioned that to yeah, me the other day. Forever, um, every, every song on it. Well, I think what they introduced on this album to me was that they kind of got away from that sort of like jazzy kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. But they, they introduced as even though they brought in the AOR sound, it also kind of some of the songs had a little bit of that R and B flavor without to it, right? which is without, such a West Coast thing too. Without a doubt, it had some of that Commodores, you know, feel. Uh, a lot of the the bass playing had some of the, the the bass licks that you'd hear, like from Cool and the Gang and um, Earth, Wind and Fire. There's some elements of in, in this. This is a terrific record. It, it really is. It has. Forget about dating being dated. It. It's to me, it's better than it. Going back to it just recently, we were going to do this discography. I pulled out these records and refamiliarized myself with it, and, and I listened to this record and I said, "Wow, this is <laughs> this really top notch stuff on that they wrote on here." Oh yeah. Now this was the same lineup as the debut, by the way. Um, yeah, definitely. And what you were saying too about. To me, and I, I've always wondered this, to me, this album, and we talked about that little bit of that maybe R&B influence or something like that, I've always kind of wondered, do you think 1978, when this album came out, it was kind of the onset of the like the disco era, and that kind of introduced maybe a little bit of that sound into their, their music? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You could definitely see that they, there was some influence from the uh, the, the black uh, pre- pre- predominantly the black artists of of the time. A lot of the you got to remember a lot of those artists crossed over into disco too. You know, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Commodores, Cool and the Gang were kind of looked at as like a more of a, of a dance band. But I I I was into Cool and the Gang 
from, believe it or not, back in the day, because I had a friend that was a DJ and was really into them. And he had given me some of their records and wanted me to check out the bass playing. And, and um, Cool and the Gang were, were, were really a, a strong band. And I, I hear all of that type of stuff, uh, the early Rick James stuff. Uh, they definitely were influenced by the late 70s uh, black uh, bands. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, as far as you know, notable songs on this album, um, I think the opening track is uh, "Love in the Danger Zone." That's a great right? song. That's a that's a great song. Great it's a great song. AOR. Silver Lining is great. Opener. Silver Lining is a great song. Total AOR rocker. Yeah, uh, "Prisoner of Your Love." I thought was another one that had kind of a little bit of that R&B oh, yeah. influence, that's a right? Great song. But, and I just want to be with you. The vocal on that is 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 incredible. Yes. The falsetto singing on that is tremendous. Yes. And even the song uh, "Wait Until Tomorrow." Oh, it's that's like a, great too. A total West Coast yeah. AOR tune with like great harmony vocals. Yeah, this is a terrific album. It really, yeah. really is. No, it really is. Yeah. Now that's 1978, the band's second album, and they now follow that up. Oh, and by the way, um, keyboard player and vocalist J.C. Crowley leaves the band at this point, so he's only on the first two albums. Right. And now the third album comes along. It's 1980, and uh, the band releases uh, "Room with a View." Um, what were your thoughts on this album? A, a bit of a step back, which it's it's not a bad album by any stretch of the imagination. Didn't have I didn't think it had the songwriting uh, of the previous record. It didn't grab me. Uh, I I I like the title track. Uh, there's a few other songs on it I like. I, I it just was left me a little flat compared to the album before it, which was kind of a, honestly is a tough act to follow. So I I like it. I don't dislike it. Uh, there's yeah. there's a few real good songs on it. I, I, I like the title track a, a lot. Yeah, well, this album, like I had mentioned, uh, the original keyboard player, uh, J.C. Crowley, leaves the band. They bring in a keyboard player named Gabe Katona, um, who all played with, um, I think, Rick Springfield on some yes, Rick Springfield did. albums, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, this album, I agree with you totally. It was it was a little bit of a step back. I thought, even you mentioned the, the title track, Room with a View, I thought it had almost like... Uh, Kind of a new wave poppy feel to it, maybe a little bit of like what you would hear from the early Cars material. But yeah, there's other songs on there though. Uh, it's for you was a great like slow AOR number. Who do you think you are? Is another one with that R and B sort of tinged sound going on. Um, Given it all is a smooth like Given AOR it all is a good song, track. Yeah. yeah, so there's even a song uh, I, I actually like Tip of the Iceberg. Uh, which I think is the last song on the album. Yeah. But at, that was like a little bit of a tougher AOR sound to right. it, you know? Yeah, so I thought this was a, a good album, but definitely a step back from what the band had done on, on Danger Zone, for sure. Um, by the way, uh, Ron Moss, uh, the bass player, actually leaves after this album, and he becomes uh, a actor and pursues acting and goes on to star in uh, The Bold and the Beautiful soap opera, uh, for probably about 25 years, he was on that program. So, yeah, that's kind of an interesting little side note. Yeah, so now that's 1980. Uh, the following year is 1981, and the band basically releases their last album, um, I guess in kind of the classic era, you would say, and that's the Spies of Life album. Um, you want to talk about that one? Yeah, that that I liked a lot. That, that kind of brought it back to... Um... To Danger Zone for me, not quite as not quite as good as that, but but close. This, I, you know, if you you look back at the band now, you could see the elements of why one album sounded like kind of the late eighty, the late seventies, because the late seventies was 
you know, a, a, a dance disco era. Yeah. Not that that stuff sounded like dance or disco, but you saw the elements of some of that. Like how you just mentioned also 80, where some of those songs did have that new wave cause romantics type of vibe again which was very prevalent yeah now we're getting into the 80s and i think that at this point they really settled on what was to be their sound and stick with that sound going and at least beckett has stuck with that sound throughout his his whole career whether it's solo or collaborating with other musicians but i i, I do like this this record a lot this was a, a strong album yeah, no, for sure. I, I actually, this, I will say, is probably my, my favorite player album. Uh, it just had so many great songs on it. And like you said, they definitely, you know, took a, a step uh, forward again from the previous album. And I think it, and they did it in a big way, in, in my opinion. Um, there's a song like If Looks Could Kill. Uh, oh, that's a, great. A yeah. great, great AOR, solid track. Um Songs like uh, "Thank You for the Use of Your I'm, Love." I was right? going to say I mean, that. That's one of that's one of my that's probably my favorite song on the album. Yeah, it's a really nice AOR ballad, yeah. almost a little bit like uh, something you would hear from like a Steve Lukather or Toto yes. sound in a way. Yeah, I, I was just, I was just going to say that that's a great song, and it's I would say my favorite. Yeah, how about it? Uh, it only hurts when I breathe. That's that's another, another really like, nice one. mellow. This, this is a really good album. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really good. Uh, even at towards the end of the album, you got a tracks like "My Survival," which is a kind of a moody AOR right. track. Um, "Born to Be with You" is a terrific song, also, and it's toward the end of the album. Yeah, yes, that's that's one of the strongest ones, and it's on uh, toward the end of the album, I believe. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, actually, the last song on the album was uh, a song titled uh, "In Like In Flynn. Like Flynn," which I don't like that song. <laughs> but you know, it's funny when I'm I listen to that song, and I, I agree with you. I don't like it, but I, I actually. It, it sounded a little bit like Eddie Money to me. Yeah, it does. Like, the, kind of that vocals, early yeah. 80s. I Eddie mean, it, I, I think it's meant to be a goof song anyway. Yeah. So I'm not oh, really, lyrically. I'm, it yeah, totally I'm, not, I'm not holding it against them, but I, I definitely didn't like it. But I, I, I don't think they recorded it really to anybody to lose their mind over it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, like now that the band is four albums into their career, and it's 1981, and they basically break up at this point, and they kind of go their separate ways. Band isn't really heard from again until... Now, 1996, or, well, really 1995, uh, the band puts out an album in America in 1996 called Lost in Reality. Uh, the year prior, in 1995, they put out uh, the album in Japan, and it was under the title of Electric Shadow. Um, similar album covers, but, um, yeah, so it's basically now how many years, you know, uh, ahead of, of the last album. And at this point, it's basically just Peter Beckett and... Ron Moss, right, involved. Uh, this album uses a, a plethora of studio musicians on the keyboards, drums, and guitar, um, in addition to Beckett playing guitar. But what were your thoughts on on this album from 1995? Well, it was very much anticipated. And this, I remember at the time, they they got a, a big deal in Japan on this. It, I remember it being writ- written up in some of the magazines. I remember Burn Magazine that I, I subscribed to at the time, even though could read it <laughs> get look at the pictures uh, you look at the pictures <laughs> and they gave it a very big uh they gave it a really high mark and uh, gave a big uh spread to to the band even though again i couldn't read it <laughs> um and it had an exclusive jab deal which was kind of prevalent more with hard rock and heavy metal albums at the time yes so uh it it came out under under the original name different artwork somewhat and it was the only way you can get the album for for a while 
And then it came out. Um, it came out in Europe. It came out in the states. Then it got a reissue with bonus tracks. So it's it got its fair share of uh, distribution. Now, overall, I thought it was kind of a, a laid back AOR album, but with with good songs. You know. Oh yeah, um, really good songs. I'm a big fan of this record a lot. It's it's really the f- the first song right right out of the bat. You, just from the first song, you knew what you were getting, and it was unashamedly, you know, overblown AOR West Coast. Great production, uh, great harmonies, terrific songs. Um, was always a big fan of this record, still am. Well, I mean, you mentioned a second ago, the uh, right out of the gate, wasn't the first track was uh, This Is Your Life? Yeah. Is that the first, great the song. opening track? Great, one great, of my favorite songs. Yeah, great AOR track to open the album for sure. Songs like Something Good was Something a little good. little modern, a little right. high tech at times, mm-hmm. but uh, very good. You know, Without You was another good track, uh, Stand By You. Um, Every Time I Turn Around was a good track, kind of a laid back AOR sound to that one. They actually, it was, what's interesting was, I guess, and like you said, the band got the Japanese deal and there was kind of a resurgence in the, the name player, the band player. And they actually, as a result of that, kind of put a band back together right. um, in 1997, mm-hmm. I believe it was. And at that time they had uh, Elliot Easton from the Cars right. on guitar. Uh, Burley Drummond, who was in the band Ambrosia, we talked about a minute ago. Um, he was uh, in the band on drums. Uh, Tony Scudo, uh, was, who was from the Little River Band, by the way, he came in on keyboards. So they, they actually put a band back together and started playing again at this point. It went on for, I guess, a number of years. Actually, they, they toured with a couple different lineups uh, for about the following, I guess, three or four years after this album came out. Um, Steve Ferris, who was uh, from Mr. Mister, actually played guitar with them Great for a little Steve while. Steve Ferris, yes, absolutely. Yeah, this this was a big comeback for them, and uh, Beckett also was in a little uh, had a stint in the Little River Band too. That's right. Yeah. He, he did a tour with them. Yeah, terrific record. Yeah. Really loved it then. Still do. Yeah. So that that's 1996. Um, like I said, the band kind of had a little bit of a resurgence. They put a, a, a touring band back together again. They played around the states, and then you don't hear anything from the band until. 2013 and they put out an album on frontiers records and uh that would be uh too many reasons and you want to talk a little bit about that album yeah i i I do like this record i wouldn't say i love it because it's it's a little bit all over the place Uh, i think one of the things that held it back is actually the strength of the first song the first song was just so damn good and i don't think there was anything quite as good on it throughout the rest of the album and when i heard the first song i remember when I, i i I pre-ordered a, a Japanese copy of this when it came out because I think this also came out first in Japan. N- not as long of a duration as the one before it got full dis- distribution. When I heard the first song, I was like, oh boy, wow. What uh, was that track? Was that Man on Fire? Man on Fire. Yeah. That's another one of my top three or four songs by them. And it really didn't deliver anything else on the, the preceding 13, 12, 13 tracks. Actually, the Japanese bonus track, Walk That Walk, is... I, in fact, I, I mentioned to Mark the other day when we were prepping this show. It was weird because the Japanese bonus track, Walk That Walk, I thought was stronger than probably half the songs on the record. <laughs> it's not the first time I've seen that happen. No, that's it's, true. You know, you, a lot of times the Japanese bonus tracks, there's a reason why there's a Japanese bonus tracks, but there's there's been a few out there. Uh, I remember there was a treat bonus track uh quite a few years ago that was better than some songs on the album so it it it, it does happen here and there and this was a case where i thought this the walk that walk was better than a lot of the songs on the album i i think it kind of drifted in different directions we were talking before also there's some u2 
for some odd reason influences, yeah. or at least that's what both of our ears heard. Um, some there are. I don't want to mislead. There are other good songs on the album. I just felt like that song out of the box, uh, "Man on Fire," was exactly what I was looking for. Kind of little tougher sound, mm-hmm. uh, great hook, uh, great vocals by by Peter. And I, I was thinking that I was going to get an album of that, or maybe a half an album of that. And it really wasn't anything else on the record on that level. Although there are, like I said, there are there are good songs on it. It's it's hardly a, a bad or a weak album. I'm not trying to profess that. It's just um, it, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100. percent Yeah, like even the Man on Fire song, which I know you said you love, you know, a lot. I, I thought it almost had like a sort of a poppy U2 sound to it. And there's other songs too that had that sort of U2 influence. And even some of the songs, and I, I mentioned this to you before, that there was even some tracks on this album that sort of have almost like that that 90s sort of the pop rock bands that were out there at the time, like maybe like a Dishwalla or something like that. It almost had a, a vibe on some songs that had that type of feel to it, which is funny because this is, it's 2013. It's not the 90s, you know? But yeah, again, you know, there was uh, the opening track, Man on Fire, which you mentioned, uh, a song like I Will, which was like a, a mid 90s sounding, yes, you know, pop absolutely. AOR track, like organic sounding. It wasn't a bad song. To the Extreme was a modern sort of AOR, like mid, mid-paced track. So yeah, there was some songs on there. But, you know, overall, like I said, I, I, I think if I had to kind of choose, and, you know, we'll get to our rankings here after we finish up talking about these albums. And uh, I think if I had to choose, it's going to be, you know, more towards the bottom of my list. Uh, but that's basically it for the, the player, you know, discography. But we wanted to also talk about, and what we said earlier when we started the show, um, Peter Beckett, the singer and guitar player in the band, uh, put a solo album out in 1991. And this, to me, is, is a great AOR album. Do you have any feelings or thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. No, this this record was... I, I don't know anybody that's into this music that doesn't think that this is a, a world-class album. Uh, there was... I mean, other than the Brother Louie cover that I could have done without, especially putting it as the third song on the album, I didn't hold it against it. This was a terrific record. This 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 failed to disappoint anybody, at least that I have ever been in the uh, AOR circles for many years. It was a player record, basically. I mean, if if there was a another player record that filled the gaps in between, you know, um, the the eighties and into the the nineties and the two thousands, it, it it would have been this. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. Uh, I mean, you, basically, you had Peter Beckett, you know, his name is on the album, but the players on this album, I mean, you had basically the the, the who's who of the, the studio sessions guys, right? I mean, you had Michael Thompson on guitar. I mean, you even had uh, Dave Amato from Mario mm-hmm. Speedwagon playing yep. guitar on it. Uh, Chris Fraser, who went on to play in Farner uh, some years later. Dan Huff even, you know, does a little guitar on this, right? I mean, even <laughs> weird here, Joey Cathcart from Nelson plays on this album. So, I mean, when you think about that in the year, it was 1991. It's just a classy, strong AOR album from that period. Yeah, and it was 91. So it was it was at that time when you could still get all of those guys because it, the scene was still relatively quite strong in 91. Um you know, I guess as we got into the mid '90s, you started to see things on a different level of production. It was harder to to get a cast of names like that to appear on your solo record, maybe in '97 as opposed to '91. And it showed the strength of Peter Beckett and what he's thought about and and, and 
in circles of music to to grab like the the five biggest session guys yeah. on on the scene and guys that are guys that were also big session players but or in Nelson and Giant and yeah. uh REO so yeah it, it it was it it was the full monty this album it was it was as good as as you could get if you're into pure AOR. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, it's funny. I, I think about this album, and this was 1991, but if I had to compare this album to anything, and I, I don't, you know, anybody who likes it doesn't really need to know what it sounds like. But if someone out, is out there listening and they maybe are saying, well, what does it kind of sound like? I, to me, it almost kind of sounding a little bit like the, the Rick Springfield album from 1999, Karma. Uh, that album was a little more organic, but it was a mature, classy like AOR album. So that's kind of something. Yeah, or some of the the Springsteen stuff like Signs of Life like uh like that of that period too. Yeah. Uh, er, earlier than, than that yeah. is is a good comparison cuz Springfield also had the ability to pull in, you know, the best of the best all the time. Yeah, that's true. Well, some of the songs I'll I'll, I'll just kind of go over that were kind of notable songs for me on that album. I know your favorite was Brother Louie. Uh, right. No, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, not not exactly true, but yeah. Uh the song uh, I told you so it was like yeah, kind of first, like a yeah, the first track. first track it's a little bit of a, a tougher sounding AOR song with some edgy guitar on it uh my religion is a great AOR track oh um, yeah that's one of the best songs in the album yeah um hanging by a thread was a, a real top how can the girl refuse uh yeah how can a girl refuse is just a, a nice upbeat AOR track kind of Rick Springfield sounding mm-hmm. in a way and even towards the the end of the album you had songs like uh the bottom line uh, which is a nice, mature, AOR-sounding track, adult contemporary a little bit, uh, Still of the Night. So, yeah, this this had, like, a lot of great songs on it. It's a real favorite of mine. Obviously, it's a real favorite of Tom's. And uh, like you said, anybody who was into this type of music at that period, 1991, you, you didn't have much to complain about with this album. No, and I do want to give kudos to the AOR Classics uh, reissue of this, which had a plethora of, of terrific bonus tracks. I guess that were leftovers from this session, and uh, I, w- I want to give a, a kudos to, to them for doing a great job with that. And if you're a collector like myself and have to have everything by an artist you love, the album did come out originally in the States on Curb as a 10-tracker, and then it got reissued by a small label called Long Run, and it had a mystery 11th bonus track on it that appears nowhere else and is a very strong track. So if you want to, uh, or maybe you already have that, but if you want to have everything Peter Beckett, that's a couple of tidbits of information. There you go. Um, so after that, um, well, actually prior to that, prior, um, yeah. <laughs> there was a project that Peter Beckett was involved in with a singer-songwriter by the name of uh, Steve Kipner. And Steve Kipner released a solo album in 1979, uh, which had basically the whole band of Toto was on that album. Every, you know, big studio guy. Basically, Steve Kipner and Peter Beckett uh, joined forces and they have a band by the name of Think Out Loud. So this album is released actually in 1988, so it's three years prior to right. the Peter Beckett solo album. But what are your thoughts on this? Um, I, when I got, I got, I got it as a Japanese import when I first saw it. I had ordered it from a mail order company. I, I wasn't blown away by it. it. It's okay, nothing off-putting or bad about it. It's pretty much you know typical. I, I, I think it lacks real strong songs. Yeah. I, I thought the follow-up, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, was much better. But it, it, it's okay. It's a pleasant listen. It's yeah. um, no nothing that really stands out. I could you know rattle some songs off that that are pretty good. But it's um, 
The opener in a perfect world, I thought. Yeah, was in a probably perfect world was good. Uh, Deep end is good. Uh, I, it's not a bad record. It's just like all the songs are kind of, I would say, the same. They're um, little high tech a- AOR in places, which I, I love. But I, I just don't think songwriting on this was there was anything overly standoutish about it. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that for sure. I mean, in, in all, I'd say it's just it's a nice high tech AOR release from. 1988. Um, Now the band doesn't put anything out until 1997, so it's nine years later, but this was, I believe, a a shelved album. Uh, It's an album that comes out on MTM Music, uh, which was uh, an AOR or melodic rock label out of Germany, Uh, but this album is titled Shelf Life, and I'm assuming that has something to do with the fact that it was a shelved album. From what I recall, it was you know, at this time, ninety-seven. I was I was writing for Hard Rocks magazine in the UK, but I was also writing for a Swedish uh, AOR magazine called Frontline. And I remember I didn't do it, but there was somebody that did a big write-up on this, and I, I kind of recall that this. I don't think this was recorded in ninety-seven. I think this was recorded closer in time to the first record, and they didn't have a deal. And it, it never came out. Hence, the the title "Shelf Life" would pretty much uh, validate that. Right. This this is a is a real strong album. In fact, there's some tremendous songs from "Where I Stand," "Moonlight on Water." Uh, there's 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 a couple of songs on here. In fact, the from "Where I Stand," I see Paul Bliss is was a co-writer on that. There's there's some really strong songs on on this. Unlike the 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 record before it. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that, too. I think this is a really strong album, especially for something that came out, you know, in 1997, regardless if it was a, a shelved album. I mean, it just, it was a really strong album, really good songs. Um, Castles on Quicksand is the opener on this album, and that's just a that's great yeah. AOR, upbeat AOR yeah, this tune. Is a, this is a real good album. Um, you mentioned uh, Moonlight on Water. Uh, Moonlight and Water was actually on a Laura Branigan album in 1990, I believe. So maybe that gives you an indication of around the time this album was was written. You know, maybe. interesting. Yeah. So that that's uh, a song like just like that was a, a nice, great AOR ballad. Uh, Calm Before the Storm was a really good song on this album. Uh, Dancing on the High Wire was a real poppy, a little bit of yeah. high tech sound, kind of maybe harkening back to their. The first it's album, a Hamish Stewart song, is a co-writer on that. But yeah, from from where I stand is a that's a, a killer song. This is a really good album. I, if anybody that's listening to this that doesn't have it, I, I'd highly recommend it. I think it's still pretty easy to get for it's sure on uh, MTM Music. Well, that basically covers the the six player albums and the Peter Beckett solo album and the two Think Out Loud albums. And much like we always do, and Tom and I give you our rankings uh, on these albums, and do you want to go first and rank these albums? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rank them from the bottom going up. How right. about that? Yes. Uh, number nine, Think Out Loud, self-titled. Number eight, The Player Debut. Number seven, uh, Player, Too Many Reasons. Number six, Player, Room with a View. Number five, player, Spies of Life. Number four, player, Electric Shadow. Number three, Think Out Loud, Shelf Life. Number two, the Peter Beckett solo album. And number one, player, Danger Zone. Okay. Um, Well, for me, it was uh, number nine was uh, player, Too Many Reasons. Uh, Number eight was the Think Out Loud self-titled album. Uh, Number seven was player, Lost in Reality. Uh, number six was Player Room with a View. Uh, number five was Think Out Loud Shelf Life. 
Uh, number four was the self-titled player album from 1977. Uh, number three was the Peter Beckett solo album from 1991. Number two was Danger Zone from Player. And number my, my number one favorite album is Player Spies of Life. So there we have it. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, it was our first uh, kind of foray into the uh, West Coast and AOR sound. And we hope to do more of that in the future. Uh, let us know, you know, what you guys think. And, and you know, is this a type of uh, music or a genre of music you guys want us to further discuss? And if you guys are into it, we, we think you are. We hope you are. So, uh, you know, let us know. Uh, give us some thoughts on our Facebook page. And, uh, you know, check us out on Spotify and Apple Music and uh, YouTube, wherever you guys listen to the podcast. And uh, we'll be back at you with a new episode soon. And... Uh- as a follow-up on that, I wanted to say anybody that is uh, more of a hard rock, heavy metal fan and is not really delved into this music or know that much about it, uh, maybe this podcast will serve as a, an introduction and you'll want to wet your feet uh, with it because coming from a guy that's really all about hard rock and heavy metal, I, I love this music almost as much as, as that. So Yeah, definitely. I agree with that 100%. So yeah, that was uh, I thought it was a real fun episode to do and uh, we'll be uh, back at you guys with a new episode soon. Until then, take care. Bye. Bye. Again, and trying to forget you was just a